Here we are. Principles of a good father. Um, before I get started on this message, there's been some desire on my part for a little bit of clarity, and I think I've gotten enough to be able to say this. When it came to Mother's Day, I didn't really have the message that I, f- I really felt fit the mothers. The desire of my heart is, is to come back to that at some point and really share the, the heart of God with mothers. And um, so I think it was better suited for wives than it was for mothers. And um, you guys remember that service is something that kind of had to walk back from feeling like the Lord had something else, and I just didn't quite follow along. How many of you know you can miss God's will, you know, his plan, at least in the moment? And so we kind of kind of navigate. I won't say that we miss God's will altogether, but I think that there's days or there's moments where it's like, and I'll, I'll say this, one thing I have noticed is God finds a way to speak to hearts. But that having been said, I think for the ladies, uh, I'm going to come back to that one because I, I want to. It's a desire of my heart. But for now, we're going to focus on some principles of a good father. Um, you'll find these throughout all the scripture. Let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 9. My first point of a principle of a good father is a good father loves and disciplines well. A good father loves and disciplines well. I didn't hear any amens out there, but I know you got them. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, 6 and 9. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those He loves. Now, in the King James Version, it actually says He chastens. I think that's a good way to look at it too, but disciplines is another uh, way that it's said throughout Scripture. So He disciplines those whom He loves. And he punishes every son whom he receives, this is in the Amplified Version, and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to the correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children are, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Moreover, if we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we submitted and respected them for training us, shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from His discipline? This is God's. This is the way God designed things. He's like, you have earthly fathers that discipline you, and you receive that well because you naturally know that that's important. And there is a difference in the line drawn between discipline and abuse. But I think we all have a pretty clear picture of what that looks like. So we don't really need that modeled in front of us today. And I think a lot of us have gone through abuse and people are struggling to understand the difference in their context of what it means to have been abused and what it means to have been disciplined. But when we talk about a good father, a good father has already made those distinctions. They were already rests in their spirit and they know that this is what discipline looks like. Now, I won't say that every man or even every good father models it well or perfectly. That's for sure. That's not the case. But certainly a lot better than, um, than somebody who has no idea or no attitude or heart toward discipline. Love builds our affection for people. So we see the importance of both of these. There's no way that you can escape it. 
if we had love without discipline or discipline without love, there's something very dangerous on both of those. And so sometimes we focus so much on the love that we fail to remember how important that they balance within every category that God has given. So love builds our affection for people. So this is what I think a father learns by his example and his love for his children. And that, you know, man, you know what I'm talking about. You never cease to be a father. You just have an older son or an older daughter. And they now have taken some of those same roles that you did. But you're still a father to them. You still care for them the same way. There will always still be that little boy or girl in your heart in a sense. And so love builds the affection in your family. Discipline builds the way we love people. So we, we love them, but discipline builds also the way we love them. So we have to have both. We have to have an expression that works in line with our love. Discipline doesn't always stop us from doing wrong. Remember this. Discipline doesn't always stop you from doing wrong, but it prevents it from becoming a permanent part of your character. It is so important. We're looking at a generation of people where fathers are missing in action in one or both of these ways. And rarely do we seem to have what looks like a beautiful example of both. Now, I haven't talked to most of the men here and asked you as your fatherly experience how you felt like that went for you when it came to just the discipline and the love in your life for your kids. But I think that every man agrees with me at this point, And they would say simply, we agree that these are fundamental to being a good father. No doubt about it. There is no doubt that these are fundamental to it. How well I did it, how well I didn't do it, isn't really the question in mind. It's really the focus on how important that they are. So we see this. It's a permanent part. We don't want it to become a permanent part of your character. There's times when I'm sure my kids did not like the way that I disciplined them. How many of us know? I mean, Father, have you ever did... Is there any fathers in this place that you said, I never had a situation with my son or my daughter where they had difficulty with the way that I disciplined them? Do I have any hands? I don't, I don't. So Joseph, Joseph's good. He, he's never had any difficulty with son or daughter. <laughs> there we go. Well, I, I will say this, I think to go along with that, I think there's a reason why God put men and women together because usually one of us is deficient in the other one or the other one's more efficient in. So if as men we learn, okay, I'm good at the discipline, but my wife has the love piece of this, learn from her, learn well from her. <clears throat> a good father carries a deep and inner sense of the importance of both discipline and love. And though he may never feel that he modeled one or both of them perfectly, yet the pursuit of his life will be to get as close to perfection as possible. Please hear me on this when I say that. There's this attitude that, well, if I if I didn't get it perfect, then I must have failed, and who gives a care? And that seems to be something that we see more modeled in front of us than we do anything else. But the reality is, is that we never quit trying to strive to get as close to that mark of perfection as possible. And for some people, that seems to be the idea of legalism. that Legalism is bound in the idea of trying to be perfect. I guess that depends on the context in which you frame that in. But I think that the reality of is the desire to be perfect is to have the moral response that I ought to have every single time if I could. 
And when I fail or miss it, I'm going to go back and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to take the fault, and I'm going to come to that here in a little bit. I'm going to take the fault that I own, and I'm going to repent about it. See, the problem is, is we have a society right now that doesn't have an attitude of repentance because they can't take blame. You can't wear your blame. And as men, you have to take the blame when you deserve it, when it's yours. You have to discern whether it's yours or not. Because if you don't, you will leave your kids stranded. You will leave your family stranded on the island of this I can't take blame mentality. And when you can't take blame, then you can't receive correction. When you can't receive correction, you can't get any better. Okay, we'll come back to that one. Imperfection is not a sign of failure. Unwillingness to correct our faults is. You haven't failed because you didn't do it perfectly. Not yet. You failed because you decided not to do anything or anything good about what you did wrong. That's when failure comes. You can't make it any more failed than that. Now, if you decide at some point you're going to make that right, then you can move out of the area of failure. But failure is, there's a sign of failure in lies. And sometimes when we fail, we decide, you know what? I'm not going to get up and try again. And so this isn't the mark of the principles of a good father, but it can become a, a man can become a good father by recognizing that. One of the truest things a man will model in his family, and I said this, was to discern and take his real faults. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 and 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 and 13. How many of you out there taking notes? We got a few people out there taking notes. Amen. I'm going to say something that's going to catch you here. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 and 13. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole story, but I'm just going to read a portion of this. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You remember the sin with Bathsheba. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. So David said to Nathan, this is verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Notice this piece of this story. David had commit an atrocity of a sin. One that I don't think any of us in this building can fathom. Not only do I think that you can't hardly fathom it, but I think that if you really start thinking of it, you couldn't name yourself a Christian or a godly man if this was your sin. I think it's that extreme. It's that extreme. And yet we're seeing the fundamentals about the gospel and the realities about the character of God in the story and the life of David in a way that we can hardly understand. But the part that I want to pick out here is that Nathan calls him out. David isn't dealing with himself on this. He's hiding the situation. He's already taken Uriah's wife to be his own. He's already commanded his men to put him out on the field and let him die out on there all by himself. What an evil could ever possess the heart of any kind of a man. And yet that's what took place in David's life. I think if you think of David's position, I think if you realize that he had an authority over a large number of people, he had a reputation in a sense to protect. I think if you begin to realize all of the other pieces that go to this thing, 
you might realize that you would, as a, just a natural human being, you might be more prone to fall into this than you realize. But despite all of that, what we have is Nathan calls him out, and then when he calls him out, he deals with him, and then David sees it. David sees it, and he says, I have sinned. Now he's beginning to own his fault. He's beginning to realize this is the area of life where now I have to. I have to take my blame. I have to own up to my own faults. And so even though his sin was cleared, notice that the prophecy didn't say that he's cleared of all struggles. All struggles in your life are over with now that you've repented. As a matter of fact, you're going to have some hard things come into your life and home as a result of this sin. But your sin has been forgiven. Some of us can't rest in the sin forgiven because we still have to struggle through the sin, uh, the struggle of what that sin has caused in life. You have people that are bitter towards you. You have people that will never love you. They have already sealed up in their heart that you are the farthest thing from anybody that they care about in life. That may be the situation in life. And men, you face that at times, and we deal with that. But what I want to say is this. I want to say that even the forgiveness of God should keep your heart tender toward the fact that your sin has caused all kinds of evil within the world. There is a reason why we want to prevent sin. We don't want to just commit sin and ask for forgiveness. There's a reason for its prevention. There's a desire for it. And it's beautiful to see when a man can own up to his own faults. You know, we get in arguments at home at times. And what we realize is this, and I've had these moments in my life where I quit owning up to where my real fault was because I didn't like the atmosphere of the argument. I didn't like the way that it felt. I didn't like the way things were coming across. And so step back and walk away from that and realize, man, I wasn't owning up to my faults. And now that I started thinking about that, I was like, when you think of God's initial work in a life of a human being, where does he start? You know where it really starts? It starts, first of all, in the acknowledgement of that person. And then secondly, it works in the way of repentance. There is no way that unless I own up to my fault that I'm ever going to repent. I'm not going to change my mind and my heart about this thing. I'm not going to confess it to God as an, an area that I have offended in. I feel like I have justification for it because, and you can put all kinds of thoughts behind the because, but the reality is that I'm not owning up. Now, there's times when you have to be careful for this. The feeling or the atmosphere is just take blame for something that you don't have a fault in. Right? It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. You find that. So men, you need to learn, fathers need to learn how to discern well where their fault really lies. And when you have discerned that, make sure you do something with it. Do something good. Do something that glorifies God. Bring the place to repentance. And I've, I've thought about repentance a lot over years, and you're going to hear me say things about it. But as your mind is altered on the subject completely, doesn't your life change with that too? Don't you change what you do when your, your mind is completely different on the way this looks? So when I think of it a lot, I'm like, well, I'm implementing new things because I feel differently, because I see it differently. That's repentance. So if there's no implementation of something new, then there's probably not a repentance there. And, and there's, 
there's a high excuse in our society of if you miss thing, if you miss the mark, just brush it off and keep on going. But that's not a good father. That's not the principle of a good father. A good father doesn't brush off the actions of misdeeds toward family, toward wife, toward anybody, and then just brush it off and then just wait for feelings to die down and then we're happy again. And some of us have got stuck in that environment. We need to get out of it badly. And so when you own up your fault, you show other people, you show your household what it means to surrender to Jesus. And it's beautiful for them to behold that because you're surrendering in areas of vulnerability, you're surrendering areas of pride, you're surrendering areas where you could elevate this pride above the call of God in life and you choose not to. So this is a beautiful thing when men and fathers begin to model this in front of their families and their children. His disciples... He disciples well. Let's get to the next point. He disciples well because he is he is he the sorry he disciplines well because he is disciplined. I'm going to make this a really big point. You know the reason why people struggle with being good at discipline because they're not good at being disciplined. This this that's the truth. If you really think about it, I tell my son or my daughter or something. I don't want them to do do this. And how many of you know that the You've betrayed that the moment you look at your life, you're like, but I just went and did that. There's this lack of discipline oftentimes, and the struggle to be able to get the message across in our homes is simply that if I'm not doing well in my discipline, in discipline in life, nor is anybody else who watches me, or generally I'm going to struggle to be able to teach it. Because teaching isn't in message or in word. It's not what I tell you. It's what I act in front of you. So here's the second principle of a good father. He teaches by example. I'm going to give you about three scriptures here, so go ahead and get ready to turn here. He teaches by example. Um, let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Now this can go good and bad, right? Like, you can have a bad example and you can teach by a bad example. They're like, why did my... Why did my son grow up to be angry all the time? Well, he saw it in you all the time. Why did my son become gentle all the time? Because he saw it in you all the time. Now, Second uh, Timothy, no, First Timothy, sorry, First Timothy, chapter four, verse twelve, it says this: "Let no one despise your youth." This was Paul speaking to Timothy, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, what I can't say is this, is that when you become this in front of people, that you can absolutely 100% expect them to look like that back to you. That's not the idea behind it. It is that we model in front of people something that they should be seeing, that they should be looking at. And so a good father always models in front of those that he's that God has given him charge for in his household, he honors, the, he honors them by giving them the conduct that they ought to live out. And there's a reason, for, there's multiple reasons and layers for that, but that's just really important. Second scripture here is John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. I love what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. How many here, just, just by raising of hands, how many of you can say, I have, by a good example, seen this very thing happen? Where I have done something good for another, and I have seen good come out of it. How many of us can say, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that? Every hand seems to be raised. And those of you who haven't, I'm sure that you're planning on it here in a second. The reality is, is simply that when you have done a good deed, you have produced something in front of somebody else that gives them the incentive and the motive for moving forward themselves. We've been talking about these testimonies already this morning, and I just keep hearing, as good deeds are done toward one another, the love shown. We can have one of two reactions to that. One is, is that I can have the reaction that I feel bad because I haven't done that back to you. Well, let that be turned into a new feeling. It's like when I get an opportunity, I'm going to give back, whether it's to you or to somebody else. See, it doesn't have to be seen or known among the person who did it originally to you to be that reality for you. And I think this is important because what what I want to do is by serving as a pastor to this church, as a believer in this community, whether I'm in a pastor's position or just a Christian position, I want to serve and touch other people's lives in a way that produces and inspires them to do the same thing. And I want not just to do the same thing, but I want for the same cause, the same person. And the principle behind that is is that I want this to enlarge your love relationship to Jesus Christ. I want you to love God so much that when you do things for others, it doesn't feel like it's a weight on you. It doesn't feel like it's a burden because it doesn't get returned. Because the, the prize, the gift, was in the giving, not in the getting, in that sense. Now there's times when God just calls us to be the one who receives. And there's times when He calls you to be the one who gives. Be able to be gracious in both of those. Learn to be balanced in both of those. Because I see people who are givers, but that can't receive. And there's people who want to serve you. There's people who want to love you. And the reason they want you is because the call of Christ is on their hearts to bless you in a particular way. Please give them that opportunity. Give them that opportunity. And remember with that, at some point, I will be able to be that for somebody else. Some of us have a long legacy of giving and and, um, loving others to a degree that you don't have the same capacity to be able to do it now for whatever reasons. And you have given service long beyond and far beyond my ability or what I have done. And God has just given you the return of His love. The return of His love. And so when you can receive it, you can receive His love. And so I think some people are very giving people, but they're not good at being the ones to receive. And I think it's hard for them to receive love. Oftentimes. So be the receiver of love. Be the giver of love. Also, last scripture here is Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have an authority, but, be, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Isn't that beautiful? That Basically the idea of a good father, the principle is a man who says, I want to show, I want to be the kind of person who 
when you look at my life that you can emulate what I've done and there will be no repercussions as a result of it. That you will be an honest person. You will be favorable. And you will see that through my life. You know, I asked my son the other day, I asked him, I said, you know, from a son's standpoint, if, if I were somebody else asking you, not the father asking you, but somebody else asking you, what do you think from your standpoint is one of the things that makes a good father or a father stand out to you in a good way? And this is what he said. He said that he teaches. That he teaches. And in that discussion, one of the things that was just so remarkable about that was he had shared with me, you know, earlier on in life, some of the things that you had taught, it was like you, you did a better job at it. And now that I'm putting it in process and acting on it and starting to live it out, it, you don't need to do it as much. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of it, folks. We don't need to do a lot. We need to teach somebody. So I, like when I was learning how to play a guitar, I started, and, and I'm still, you, you see I don't play it up here because I'm not good at it, right? But as I was learning, one thing I did catch is this. One class can take me months to get good at. You don't have to teach me a lot in order. If I'm really wanting to put it in practice, come on, let's hear an amen on that one. If I'm going to put it in practice, you need to stop teaching and I need to start practicing. And I need to get good at practicing because I quit practicing so I quit getting good at it. You understand that that's the a good teacher says, I don't need to teach you a lot because I know if you're going to put this in practice, it's going to take you some time to get good at it. So let's start practicing what we're being taught, not just getting it. You know, when, at the end of this message, I hope that, you know, godly fathers, good men are going to go out into their homes and they say, you know what, my sons are old, but I haven't spent time to call them, talk to them. I've been praying for them. I don't know what it is that you want to do to invest into your children again, but reinvest yourself in a new way to start calling the call of love back into your relationship on a deeper level. I want to say this. I don't think there's a lot of men necessarily that need to call it back into it. in a broken relationship that just doesn't have anything to it. I think that most of us just need an encouragement to say, I want to take a good relationship and make it better. I want it to be more better, more beautiful. I want to be more grateful for my relationship in this fleeting life. I want another moment with my son or my daughter. I want another moment that redefines the happiness and the joy that we've spent together in life. I don't want to miss another moment. So many years and days go by when I could have that another moment with my son or my daughter. I hope that you're encouraged to do that here shortly. A man may be disappointed in his kids for not doing what he said and fail to realize they're only acting out on what he did. You know, somebody said a long time ago, one of the best things you can do, and I believe it's true, that you can love your wife. That's the best things you can do to help your children and build your family. And I think that goes vice versa. Husband and wives loving one another because the genuineness of that can't be replaced by anything. And you know, when you kiss your wife and you give her a hug, and, and your children can see that this isn't just from a break of an argument, but this is just the tender touch of a man who's loving his wife well. And they get to see that, and they realize that daddy loves mommy. And they see that played over and over again in their life. 
and there's fewer and fewer fights in between because there's a good model of somebody who's loving and it's hard to argue when you love. It's hard to get in a conflict when we're deeply intertwined with one another, but when we have that breakup and life begins to pull us away from one another, we need to be brought back together before the argument happens to love one another deeply. And I believe this is a principle of a good man, a good father, as he loves his wife well because he knows how important that is to his children. A good father knows that his family can see better than they can hear. They can see better than they can hear. When you watch somebody do something, I I can't tell you how many times my wife has, has shared with me or one of my kids, they said, Dad, we told you. I'm like, I forgot, you know. I'm going to say that over and over. And the older I get, I forget more. I don't know what the deal is with that. <laughs> I forget over and over again because somebody said something. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you something that I learned a long time ago when I was in the workforce. I was working in Walla Walla, and I did it when I came here. I learned quickly that if I told somebody, this is what I want you to do, and, I, and the, more, the more I had to give instruction, the more sure I was to expect that they would fail at it. If I just told them. But this is the, the, the way that I developed training was simply this. Nobody taught me. I learned it from an early age. But I'm sure others, had, they, I've heard people say it. So others got it too, I guess, long before I did. But anyway, I would first of all bring somebody and I would tell them or show them. You're going to get told and you're going to get shown. You're going to watch me do this. Especially if it was something physical. They had to interact in it. They had to do it somehow. I had to tell them, this is what you do. And I had to show them. So we had this, this metal press, and you had to maneuver it certain ways. And so we found, I did it. Then I said, I want you to do it, and I'm going to stand right next to you, and I'm going to help you through it. Then when I feel like you've gotten the, good, the big picture, then I'm going to step away because there's going to be a lot of things you're going to learn in trying to get the finesse and the experience and all of that down that's just best if you're left to yourself. But then I'm going to come back and answer some of those questions or help you along the way. But I never just simply leave you to, I'm told you to do this. Now, I've decided in my life, when it comes to construction or anything else that you do, if I tell you to do something and you didn't do it right, it's still on me. That's, again, owning up to my own fault. Because you didn't quite get the picture. But if I showed you and I stood there with you and I know you know how to do it, and then you did it wrong, I think I'm going to change the fault to somebody else at that point. I'm moving this over. It's not mine anymore. (laughs) So this is huge when it comes to us and our family seeing how do you pray? How do you read your Bible? How do you study the Word of God? How do you implement that in your life? What are you doing so that I can see this? And we have it hidden. We have it all in our prayer closet so nobody can see it. But sometimes they just need to see it. We need to do it with them. And the more we do it with them, they begin to catch it. And they get it. And they understand. And we don't know how to... This is one of the things I've realized. You don't teach somebody by telling them. They, they catch it. And I got it now. I figured it out. I don't know how I figured it out, but I finally figured it out. And you stay with them long enough till they get it. It's a huge principle behind teaching. I think good fathers get that. I think they do. Intention is characterized by actions. And what we say may or may not get carried out, but our actions will be the final proof. That's why, you know, you tell me something. I don't know you're going to do it. I don't know you are or not. But I do know this, 
that when you finally put it in action, I know now exactly what you're going to do with it. You decided to be inactive or you decided to do something. Action says something that words cannot. It's way bigger. I don't know any other way to say it. Here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and changed his mind and went. Then the man came to the second son and said the same thing, and he replied, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two will did the will of the father? You see there? It's not what he said, but what he did. It's in both of them. It's what they chose to do. That's the important part. One important principle in teaching is to show them it sticks better than if you tell them. That was just one little reminder there, I guess. Okay, Second, third point um, of, a good, of a principle of a good father. A good father never dies. You're like, how's that a principle? I don't know. I just put it there. So, good father never dies. Many tombstones have the name of a father that will always be remembered for the legacy he left. Remember that. Our children will do more than share with their children things that we said. They will do what we did. Somehow that carries from generation to generation. I love this in Genesis chapter 18. Go there real quick with me. Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. A good father never dies. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Isn't that powerful? God picked a man, the one we've read about frequently in the Bible, Abraham. He's the father of our faith. It said anybody who basically comes to faith in Christ becomes a child of Abraham. It says that in the New Testament, just so that you know. But I find it very interesting that here the father of the faith is basically the first model of real faith that we ever had. And it said that righteousness is imputed unto him because he believed. Now, interesting with this, his actions followed his belief, and we see this written. And God says, how shall I hide from Abraham? I'm about to do something that's huge. And what I'm about to do, I'm not going to hide. I'm going to hide from many, but I'm going to make sure that Abraham knows. See, the secrets of God are tucked in the heart of good men, of good fathers, of good women, good people altogether. And what I, I think is a remarkable principle behind their life that you're going to see is, that they have a way of bringing their household into the understanding of the ways of God. They live it out. They example, they're an example of it. They teach it in every way. And so what God is saying is, is that I know Abraham, that he's faithful to me, and he'll teach that same faithfulness in his own. Regardless of what they do with it, he'll teach it in, their own home, in his own home. And that basically, he says, they will follow in the ways of the Lord. I don't know if that's a prophecy or exactly what. But this is what God's speaking. And this is kind of the framework behind God saying, I'm not going to hide. 
I'm not going to keep things secret. You know, I think a lot of us want to believe because I came to faith in Jesus that God's just going to reveal all of His secrets to me because I believe in Him. But tucked behind that faith is a life. And the life doesn't always measure up to what we say we believe. And so when you put those two together, we begin to begin to put ourselves in a position where God can reveal things to us. That God can take His secrets and He can show them to us. Because it's going to come into a heart that receives them and well lives them out. And Abraham did. And it's amazing, his story and his life. The little things feed the big things. A godly father leaves memories. A father's reason and wisdom will enrich and chasten his children into their adult lives and beyond his own. You know, I say that it will enrich and chasten because it depends on the kid, right? It depends on your sons and daughters. It will either, they will either remember your actions and they will see that your wisdom and your reason kind of chases them through life. And you're like, you don't get to see that. You don't get to know every time that they think about my dad would have said that. My dad would have done this. My dad would have. They said that I don't know how many times and you never heard one of them. And all the time you never thought you had an effect upon their little minds and their little lives. But yet in their adult lives, they're still thinking about you. They're still quoting you. They're still on their mind. You just never die when it comes to the understanding or what they remember about you. I want to say this because it goes along with it. Forbearance and patience of a good father tends to leave lasting impressions on his kids. And it has a way of grinding at their long-held rebellion in a way that nothing else can. And it can also ground his well-behaved children in a way that hell has no power to break. You know, your forbearance and your patience. Men, I know that you have. Ladies, you have done this for your children maybe more than the men have because most of us have been out there working, right? But in the times when you have, and I, spe- I think it's especially important for men because I think the, the normal picture we get of a man is a disciplinary man. But the man who's disciplinary but has patience and forbearance is a, is a beautiful man, is an amazing man. And so when your children have watched that, I can tell you that that's agreed with them more than anything else that you've ever done in life. And even that sets down in their minds and that leaves an impression that cannot be overcome. You can't let go of the times when you've been patient with me and I didn't deserve it. When you were there and you were well-mannered toward me and you forbore my evil or my rebellion and you were there as a model of love to me and I can't get over that. The rest of my life I'm going to be telling friends and people about how my father loved me. How he was there for me in times when I didn't expect him to be. My father loved me. And he did it when I was at my worst. And men, you know that that's one of the most important things you can ever do is be there when they're at their worst. You can be your best when they're, they're at their worst. And when you have that, you have it something that's going to leave a permanent thought, a permanent mark on their mind for the rest of their life. And let it stay there. Let it stay there. I want to say that because I want men today, I want you to think about where you are right now. I want, to, I want you to think about if I'm an angry man, if I struggle with areas of temper. I want you to begin to think about the reverse of that. I want you to begin to think about what God could do for you in that. And now begin to say, I want that. I want that and I'm going to go after it. I'm going to let God have His place. If you are kind of have an average temper, which probably most of us do, you're like, I have those times when I want this to be more so the reaction that I have in my life. Some of us and many of us are going to say, I'm beyond that point in my children. And don't lie to yourself, that's not true. You are not beyond that point with your children. They just don't get to see you as often. They don't get to know you as closely in relationship as you have. 
But don't lie to yourself and say that the good deeds that you do now won't affect them for days to come and years to come. Do it now if you haven't done it in the past. I have friends that are still 40 years old, 30 and 40 years old, and they are still blaming their dads for the lack of something that they didn't do in their life. And I have gotten this impression all along. I believe it's simply this, that they want to see their dad even now at 40 years old. Would you just be the man that you I wanted you to be all along? The man that you despise yourself for not being, I still want you to be that man. I am inviting him to come into my life. You don't think I am, but I am. I still want you to be there. And somehow in the man's heart, even at 40 years old, he still cries out, will you be my father? Somebody be my father. And I want to pray that you will get that understanding and start thinking, how can I invest into the lives of my children in their old age and in their young age? Don't forget about your investment is still not over with until they're beyond the point of reach or in the grave. You understand what I'm saying? Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward in it. I think patience is beautiful because patience is a, it's a whole volume. It's a huge book that nothing else can, can compare to when it comes to life. A good father is a godly man. That's the last one here. You're like, man, I didn't know this sermon was going to be that long. Amen? Good father is a godly man. A father is not good until he is godly. Make no mistake about it. I don't give a care who you are today. You may say, I'm good. I support my family. I do it in ways that Christians don't. I just say, well, maybe they're not much of a Christian then. I don't know, but I can say this much. I can say that a good man has to be a godly man. Now listen to what Jesus said. This is not James's words. It's not the pastor's words. This is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree bad and his fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And a brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Could it have been said any more plainly? That you're not a godly man. Or you're not even doing good in life ultimately by ignoring God. You can't have a good life by having God partially on the shelf and partially connected to life. You have to be connected to them. Jesus made this statement to all people, men and women the same. He said, you can do nothing without me. You can't bear the fruit that God has in, in mind. You may be a patient person, but imagine the kind of patience that you would have if God were connected to that patience. If God, if you had forbearance, the kind of forbearance you would have if God was connected to it. I see good men morally, in a sense, without reflecting on God, but I can only imagine the kind of man that God would mold them to be if they can have that kind of goodness outside of a union and the reflection and the, the influence of God on their life and the presence of the Lord in their spirit. And so you might say, I see a good man outside of, and maybe you do, in a sense, but he's not a good man until he's godly in the way that God intended and created him for. And imagine all of this. You can do a world of good. And you could, if you could live a thousand lives over and do nothing but good to the people around you. But you ignored the Creator that gave you life and breath. Can you compare that? The evil of that. That the Creator of the universe is ignored. But the people that He's created are sustained and kept well. I would say if anything at best you could call that partial goodness. But you can call it indeed goodness by ignoring 
the Creator. And I can't even say that you can. And the reason I say that is, is because ultimately, no matter how you put this in picture, when you have the Creator, when you have the God who made everything, when you have the Creator, how can you take the immenseness of His creation and make that bigger than Him? How can we? By what standard can we make that rule? And then still call ourselves a good person in the midst. And so I think that the defining factor behind that is a godly man is simply, I know that the enormity of Christ is bigger than that. Now, here's the other piece to this. Because as great as a good as a man can be, you still find Mrs. Pieces in his life, right? The Gospel answers for every single one of those in ways that nothing else can. I failed. I missed the mark somewhere. I asked for forgiveness. I tried to make restoration. And maybe I got that with that family member, but I, I ignored God on the side. Not at all. Like you have to, I put God in the middle of that picture that while you ignore me or you decide that you're not going to forgive me, the forgiveness of God will take that man into heaven when your forgiveness, your unforgiveness is still there. But I can promise you, you flip that around and that's not going to be the same. There's no way that you can make that work for you. So that's pretty powerful to think about is that God's forgiveness outrules the world's forgiveness. And remember that. God's forgiveness does. So you're like, I've done everything in my power to do my best. I've done it with tears. I've done it with ambition. I've done it with a heartbreak. I have been everything I can think you want me to be, Lord, with some marks, not perfection, but I think that I've done it well enough that somebody can't say the ruling in court, the plead is guilty, right? And I've done it with all my heart and still I haven't had the results. Your joy, your hope is in the Gospel. Your blessing is in your relationship with God. And the fruitfulness of that continues to spring forward. Why can you be faithful to somebody who's still evil towards you? Because of the goodness of God still exploding within your life. It still has to be. I don't know how many of us have relationships with people that are um, unforgiving towards you. You get what I'm saying? But something that's bothered me, that I've watched Christians do, and it's really bothered me, and I've watched them treat them back bitterly. And you know why that bothers me? I think it bothers me because I don't understand. Yes, I understand why you feel that way. I absolutely get that. I understand why the feeling of your mistreatment hurts me. Your mistreatment is abuse to me. Your mistreatment is harsh on me. And it's making it more and more difficult for me to look at you well. On a human standpoint, I get it. But when you go into this book and you look at the Gospel of Jesus Christ and you have a sense of the enormity of the sins that you've committed against God and He's forgiven you of every single one of them, how in the world can you hold bitterly toward anybody? How? On, on, on what basis? How does it not affect the pain of the way that they treat you? I, I get it. People treat us very terrible at times. I mean very bad. And, and, I, and I, I, some people have the worst kinds of treatment and they're the sweetest kinds of people. But the reason they maintain that sweetness is there's a gospel-centered focus. There has to be. And it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So these, these four principles, I think, among many more, make up good fathers. Good fathers.
I think that good fathers have a piece or a part of each one of these in their life. And we're doing everything we can in our power, aren't we, guys? And I think one of the things I want to say is, is that I think all of us have got kind of a clear picture that none of us are perfect, right? But I think one of the things we're, we're struggling with is this part. How much imperfection am I willing to tolerate? How much am I just going to let go just because? It's easier. Listen to me. At times, it can be easier just to let, just live any way you want. Not if you have good conscience, but at times it can be. You can't release yourself to it. And I just want to, I want to encourage the men today, the fathers today. I want to encourage you to be these men of principle. I want to encourage you to listen to what I've said and continue to act on them. And I don't think there's a man in this place. This is my feeling. I don't think there's a man in this place that doesn't say, hey. Not only what you said, Pastor, I agree with. I could probably preach it as well, right? I think I could hear some men say, I, I feel that in my heart. I've been wanting and I've been living like that. Maybe many of you could say at different degrees, but I think there's an agreement among men. I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. Don't let loose. Don't give up. And this isn't just about your families. This is about you. Do you understand when, when a man gets to the place in his life that he feels like, I'm done. He gives, up on his, he gives up on the things that are important in life. And he starts giving up on his family. And the last thing I want in this church, I want men to say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You get what I'm saying? I want to encourage you guys, you can't. You can't. And it's not by your own strength or willpower, and you, you can't do it the same way you've been doing it, right? But you can do it beyond that. And some of us can keep going with where we have, and we're just going to keep on trucking on and keep doing it. I, whatever level you're at, just let the Lord continue to have His place, right? And I want to speak to the guys today, because some of you are like, you feel at blame because you feel like some of your kids aren't the way that they should be. And you can, you can own some of it. You're like, I know that this behavior kind of helped add to that. And trying to get past the mental block of what to do with it. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like that at times in my own home. And I'm like, my kids are fairly young, so I have a lot of time with them. But that time lapses, and sometimes we, we kind of make the same mistakes over again. And I just want to say this. I want to take them in today, and I want to say, if you're a father... And you see, you're, you're looking at your children and you're looking at yourself through the lens of your kids. I want you to take some time with the Lord this morning. And I want you to do that for a couple of reasons. One is because no matter how well they, they perceive you, that doesn't make you that perfect person. And no matter how badly they see you, it doesn't make you that, per, that perfectly bad person either. And remember both of those and take some time for the Lord and settle some of those things in your heart. Settle some of them in your heart. Amen? Okay, so I want to I want to give some time for you to reflect and let the Lord have His time with you. So I'm going to ask my wife and Tina to come up. They're going to share a song with you. And while we are, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar, spend some time before the Lord.